Your worship program this morning, you'll find the notes for the sermon, and you can fill in the blanks. Now, I don't know how important it is to you to have those notes, but they will at least let you know when I'm coming in for a landing, and that'll, uh, that'll help you out. That'll encourage you. U.S. News and World Report is one of my favorite news magazines, and they used to have a section called News You Can Use, and that's what I'm going to try to give you this morning in the little bit of time that we have. I want to give you some news that you can use. I don't want to waste your time, and so I'm going to get right to the point. I feel like the hen that decided she was going to lay an egg in the middle of Interstate 95. And so the rooster thought he'd give her a little advice, and here's what he said. He said, okay, here's how you do it. You run out there in the middle, lay it on the line, and get out of there. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay it on the line and get out of here this morning, all right? Uh, there are two questions we want to answer about Easter today, two uh, questions we want to answer about the resurrection. What does it mean? And why does it matter? Easter, so what? Do you know that within the next 24 hours... Over a billion people will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ around the world. George Gallup did a poll that revealed that 84% of people who never go to church believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. And it was not done in secret. The entire city of Jerusalem knew about it. Eventually, the entire Roman Empire knew about it. It was big news. If CNN had existed back then, they would have covered the resurrection of Jesus. There are at least 15 historical references to Jesus meeting people, touching people, talking to people, following his death on the cross. Let's answer the first question. What does the resurrection mean? What does it mean? Well, it means three things. Number one, it means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus is who he claimed to be. In John eleven twenty five, 25, he made some very powerful claims. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he died. These are some pretty outrageous claims. If you read what Jesus said throughout the New Testament, he said, I'm God. He said, I'm perfect. He said, I'm the only way to heaven. He said, I'm the only Savior of the world. Now, Jesus is either who he said he was, or he is either the biggest liar or lunatic who ever lived. He made some claims, and then he said, one day, soon, I am going to validate Every claim I've ever made. One day, Jesus was going into the temple, and there were money changers there, and they had turned the house of God into a flea market. Jesus didn't like that. Righteous indignation came into him. Did you know there is a thing called righteous indignation? The Bible doesn't say don't get angry. The Bible says get angry about the right things, but sin not. Jesus walked in and turned the tables over and drove them out. And they said, what right do you have, sir, to do this? He said, because I'm God. That's pretty big, isn't it? And they said, prove it. He said, I will 
Right after you kill me, three days later, I'm going to come back to life. Jesus was saying, I claim to be God and I will prove this when I am resurrected from the dead. In another place in the Bible, John 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can get to God the Father except by means of me. Again, pretty strong claim. Let's look at it. I am the way. He didn't say I am one way. He didn't say I am a good way. He didn't say I am a way. He blew all that out of the water and said, I am the only way. You say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. He also said, narrow is the way that leads to heaven. Some people say, all roads lead to heaven. That's like saying, all phone numbers will make my home phone ring. I mean, really. People say, oh, you can just get to heaven so many different ways. You know, Oprah Winfrey theology. They say you can get to heaven in many different ways. Again, the ridiculousness of that is illustrated in somebody saying, Pastor, what's your phone number? I need to call you. And I would say, oh, any number will do. Just call any number and, and it'll lead to my phone. Well, that's ridiculous. And there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. If he's right about that, this means that there's no other source of truth except Jesus Christ. I happen to believe that's true. He also said, I am the life. If he's right about that, then there's no other source of eternal life in heaven except through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, the word of God is clear. You are dead spiritually. Then he claimed to be God when he said, no one can get to God the Father unless he comes through me. You see, even if you don't believe Jesus Christ is who he said he was, did you know that you actually use him as a reference point every day of your life? Did you realize that? Every time you write a check, every time you date a contract, every time you put down an appointment in your little black book, you write down 2009, 2009 years from what? I'll tell you what, since the Jesus came to the earth since the birth of Jesus. Here's the story. God came to earth in the form of a man so we could know what God is like. His name was Jesus Christ. His birth split all of history into A.D. and B.C. So every time you write down the date, Jesus is the reference point of the date you write down. So whether you believe him or not, you reference him almost every day of your life. So the first thing that the resurrection means is that Jesus is who he claimed to be. What's the next thing? The next thing the resurrection means is that Jesus had the power he said he had. He has the power he claimed to have. On one occasion, Jesus said, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me. And because he was God, he could do anything God could do. In John 10, 18, he says, nobody takes my life from me I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. No force could keep him in that tomb. There was no power that could keep him in the tomb. Listen to this. The Romans killed him, put him in a tomb, rolled a big stone in front of the mouth of that tomb, sealed it with the Roman seal, and posted a 24-hour guard as if they could prevent the inevitable. Jesus came back to life. What's the third thing? That the resurrection means. Well, it means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. 
means that Jesus has the power he claims to have. The third thing it means is that Jesus always does what he promises he'll do. Every promise Jesus gives, it will come to pass. Mark 10, 34 says, They will mock and flog and kill me, but after three days I will come back to life. You see, this verse tells us that the cross was no surprise to Jesus. It was all a part of God's plan. Look at Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6. The angel said, don't be frightened. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Listen to this statement. He has come back to life again, what? Just as he said he would. He kept his promise. The resurrection means that Jesus always keeps every promise he makes. So I say to you this morning, has he made you a promise? Because if he has made you a promise in your prayer time, if he has made you a promise through your study of the word of God, rest assured that promise will come to pass. So the resurrection means that Jesus is who he said he was. It means that Jesus has the power he claimed to have. And it also means that Jesus keeps every promise. So what difference does that make? So what? Why does the resurrection matter? Well, let's look at three reasons why the resurrection matters. Number one, the resurrection matters because now my past can be forgiven. My past can be forgiven. Is that important to anybody out here today? Man, I'm so glad my past can be erased. You ever been halfway through a project? Maybe you were painting the house and you go, man, sure do wish I could start this whole thing over. You know, maybe it's not the color. It didn't look like you thought it would look. And you just wish you could start all over. You ever felt that way about life? You ever look back on your life and thought, man, I wish I could just start over? Everybody sitting in this room today, everybody in this building has done things you wish you hadn't done, said things you wish you had not said, thought things you wish you had not thought. And I can't think any of mine right now, but I'm sure that somewhere in my past, it's something I wish I could erase. We all have regrets and things we feel bad about from our past. We all have guilt. I read a letter that a young girl wrote to her pastor, and here's what that letter said. Listen, she said, I'm 31 years old and divorced, though I fought the divorce bitterly. I feel badly. I have no hope for my future. Often I go home and cry, but there's no one holding me when I cry. Nobody cares. Nothing changes, and I continue to fail. I'm stressed out emotionally, and I feel I'm on the verge of a collapse. Something is very wrong with my life, but I feel so hurt and embittered that I can scarcely react or relate to others anymore. I feel as if I'm going to have to sit, down, uh, sit out the rest of my life in the penalty box. I'm telling you, there are people across your community, this state, this country, this world, who feel that way because they don't understand the truth about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, if you will allow him to, will erase your past. He will forgive your past and put it where it belongs in the past. The tragedy is we all know people like this young lady, people who can't get on with the present, they can't get on with the future because they're stuck in the past. 
And sometimes the thing they're stuck in uh, has come from a tragic or painful relationship from their past. And they're allowing it to mess up their current life and their current situation. And they think, you know, I guess I'll just have to live with this blunder the rest of my life. And they run around with this bondage and this emotional baggage trying to live life. And they wonder why they're not fulfilled. And they wonder why their life is not fruitful. Listen to this word from Paul in the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. He, the Lord Jesus, has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. Now that isn't automatic. It's there, the work has been done, but you have to receive what he has done for you. You have to decide and receive what the Lord has done for you. This is God's pardon program. He's telling us here in Colossians 3 and 14 that he has nailed our sin, our regret, our failure to the cross. Jesus has paid the debt. He has paid for my guilt. This means I don't have to pay for it. I like what some preachers, uh, I love to read what other preachers say. And uh, There's a, a great black preacher that I love to hear him preach, Dr. S.M. Lockridge. And here's what he said. He said, Jesus was hung up for my hang-ups. Amen. And then he said, Jesus was nailed to the cross so I can quit nailing myself to the cross. So many of you sitting here this morning are doing that. And the Lord, it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart when he looks at all he went through on the cross and he sees you continue to nail yourself to that cross. Jesus weeps and says, I've done it for you. Receive me. Receive me into your life. Receive my work on the cross of Calvary into your life. I've paid the debt for you. I think what Jesus wants us to get here is this. Once God forgives it, you can forget it. In Romans 8 and 1, there is no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ. And the people said, do you all remember Etch-a-Sketch? Never could draw anything on that. <clears throat> Abstract art. Every piece looked like that. The wonderful thing about Etch-a-Sketch. Y'all remember the wonderful thing about it? They still got Etch-a-Sketch? Is that still out there? Well, I want to tell you that this is God's, God's Etch-a-Sketch verse. God will take your life and he will shake it and erase every mark you have placed there. He says, I want to wipe it clean. Listen, here's what I'm saying to you. You can walk out of here today. You can walk out of this building today knowing that every single thing you've ever done wrong up until this point is completely forgiven. I don't know about you, but that's news I can use. No condemnation. One preacher said, when it comes to our sin, Jesus Christ didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. Again, I didn't come to condemn the world, Jesus said. I came to save it. So what, why does the resurrection matter? It matters because my past can be forgiven. The second reason the resurrection matters is because my present can be managed. My present, the now. You know, we all talk about the sweet by and by. Oh, we're going to heaven one day. And isn't that wonderful to know that? But I'm not in heaven yet, are you? I'm in the nasty now and now. I want to know how to live tomorrow, this afternoon. How can I have some victory now? 
Well, when you understand the resurrection and you understand all that it purchased for you and all that it did for you, not only does it forgive your past, but it manages your present. The fact is, much of life is unmanageable. True wisdom, true wisdom is when you realize that you can never figure it all out, but God already has. True wisdom is when you realize you cannot manage this life. You cannot manage all that this life is going to send you and all that this life is going to unexpectedly give you. You can't manage it. Wisdom is when you realize, but God can. True wisdom is when you realize that you need to get connected to him. True wisdom is when you realize that you need to ask him for help and let him control your life. Now, I don't know why you're here today. You may be here today. You know, it's Easter, and mom just really pushed, and she bought me this new tie, and so I just had to go to church. Maybe you're here today, and you're saying, well, I just decided I'd come to this service because I want to get a good seat for the drama later. That's awesome. That's great. But here's what I hope happens. I hope right now, you are confronted with the word of God and the truth about the resurrection in a way you thought you never would be. And I pray that on this Easter 2009, you will say, you can have my life, Jesus. You know what? The more you try to handle your own life, the bigger mess you're going to make. I hear over and over people say, Pastor, I feel so powerless to change my situation. I feel so powerless to break this bad habit. I feel so powerless to break this addiction or to save this relationship. I feel so powerless to get out of debt. I feel so powerless to manage my time and my schedule. And what you need to do is realize that there is a power greater than yours. You were never meant to live this life on your own power. God wants you to have a relationship with him, and he wants to help you manage your life. Look at Ephesians 1 and 20. How incredibly great is his power to help those who what? Believe him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Did you hear that? The same power that we celebrate today. The same power that enabled Jesus to rise from the dead will help you rise from your problems. The same power that God used that very first Easter way over 2,000 years ago, is available to you right now. You say, I don't know what my future holds, but listen to this verse. Philippians 4.13, we all know this verse. I'm ready for anything through the strength of Christ who lives in me. So what does the resurrection, why does it matter? Because my past can be forgiven and because my present can be managed. Let me close with this. The most important thing I believe about the meaning of the resurrection, the why of the resurrection, is that my future now can be secured. We all have a universal problem. I don't mean to be negative and bring up something negative right here at the end of this sermon, but we all have a universal problem, and it is death. Everybody dies. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Great news. Everybody dies. I'm going to die. 
someday you're going to die someday. As a matter of fact, if you'll stay to the end of this play, you're going to see me probably die somewhere in this play today. But we're all going to die. Only a fool, listen to me, only a fool would go through life not preparing for something they know is inevitable. Sometimes we get so busy in the here and now, we don't stop to think about what's going to come. I want to call your attention to this fact. If, if there were a line beginning right here and just going all the way to California, I don't know which way California is, maybe that way. And it was the line that, that and it was a timeline and it was eternity. Did you know that on that timeline, your time on this earth would be about that much? But we put so much emphasis on now and this life and what we're going to accomplish in this life and what we're going to accumulate and what people are going to think about us and if we're going to be successful. And we put so much, and we don't even think about boys and girls, 75, 80 years on the other side of death is nothing. It's nothing. I want you to think about eternity. People don't like to think about eternity. They don't like to think about the fact they're going to die. I can prove that. Have a bunch of people over to your house, have coffee and cake, and go, hey, let's talk about death. And just see what that does to the mood of the room. I read where some little children were asked to write about death, and here's what they wrote. Gilda, she's eight years old, and she wrote, when you die, they put you in a box and bury you in the ground because you don't look too good. Stephanie, age nine, she said, doctors help you so you won't die until you are able to pay their bill. <laughs> Always wondered why doctors work so hard to keep you alive. Marcia, age nine, said, when you die, you don't have to do homework anymore in heaven unless your teacher is there too. <laughs> Raymond, age 10, said, a good doctor can help you so you won't die, but a bad doctor sends you on to heaven. <laughs> the fact is everybody has a deep longing to know this. What's going to happen when I die? Now, ladies and gentlemen, last Sunday, I finished a three-part sermon series on a topic that hardly ever gets talked about in church anymore. It hardly ever is preached on anymore. And it's the topic of hell. And I know when preachers bring up hell and they talk about hell, you know, they say, oh, this church is, you know, backward and narrow-minded and all that kind of stuff. The only reason I talk about hell <clears throat> is because Jesus had more to say about it than any prophet in the Bible, any other teacher or writer in the Bible. And I think something Jesus talked about ought to be talked about in church. We believe, this church believes in hell. We believe in what the Bible says about it. And I'm not trying to be negative, but we believe people really go there. But you don't go there because you're a bad person. You go there because you say no to Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you today to say yes to Jesus Christ. What's going to happen when I die? Well, it's all based on what you do with Jesus. Because whatever you do with Jesus is going to determine what God does with you. You say, oh, I don't like that teaching. I, you'll have to take that up with God. He is the one who said it. It isn't me. You, it, 
this church didn't say, hey, I tell you what, let's write that down. That sounds pretty good. Whatever you do with Jesus, you know, that determines what your, your eternity. That'll be one of our doctrines. Write that down. We didn't do that. God wrote that down a long time ago. And we just say what God says. You see, your relationship to Jesus is what determines what happens when you die. I heard a story about a pastor. His name was Pastor Ron Dunn. He's a great preacher. I've heard him preach many times. Great Baptist preacher. He said it was his son's birthday. His son was about seven years old. And it was his son's birthday. And he told his son, he said, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you and I'm going to take six of your best buddies to the carnival. And for your birthday, I'm going to pay for all the rides and just let you guys have a ball. And uh, he's like, yes, awesome. So they went to the carnival, and um, they were. Uh, Ron bought this huge roll of tickets, and so every time they'd go up to a ride, he'd just pull out seven tickets, boom, 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 boom. When they got to the Ferris wheel, he'd pull out seven tickets, and they all got on, and then this eighth kid came up, and he said, uh, who are you? He said, I'm Johnny, and I'm your son's new friend. And he told me, you'd give me a ticket. He said, did I give this little boy a ticket? He said, you better believe I did. Because of his relationship with my son, he got the ticket. It's going to be your relationship with Jesus. See, some of you are sitting here this morning going, when I quit that and stop that and get that straightened out in my life and... And I got a bad habit doing this, and, and when I stop doing that, listen, listen. You can't do any of those things till you make him Lord of your life. He is the one who's going to give you strength to cut that stuff out. And let me tell you all a secret. Listen up. He's still working on me. He's still working on me. Do not tell the second service crowd. <laughs> but I still mess up. I still sin. I still need God's forgiveness. I'm not going to heaven because I'm perfect. I'm going to heaven because Jesus sits on the throne of my heart. Don't let anybody tell you different. It is your relationship with the Son. And when you get to heaven, God may look at you and go, who are you? And you go, I'm your son's new friend. And he said, you'd give me a ticket. And God will say, you better believe it. Here's your ticket. Would you bow your head with me today? <clears throat> can, I ask you, can I ask you this question? Where are you with Jesus? That's all that matters. You know what? You may never come back to this church again. That doesn't matter. Coming to this church isn't going to help you get to heaven. Being my friend isn't going to help you get to heaven. I'd love to be your friend, and I'd love for you to come to this church. I'd be thrilled with that. But it won't help you get to heaven. You might have written a check for $10,000 and put it in the offering. If you did, hallelujah. <laughs> but it won't help you get to heaven. The only thing that will determine whether you go to heaven or hell is what you do with Jesus. Reach out to him today and say, Jesus, I, I need you. I receive you on this Easter Sunday. Come into my heart, Jesus. I've been running from you, and I've been making excuses, but I'm not going to make any excuses today. 
Just say it right now to him. Say, Jesus, I want you to come in my life and forgive me of my sins. Wash me with your blood. Cleanse me. Come into my heart and save me. Just say that to him right now, right there where you are. I'm not going to make you walk up here. I'm not going to make you sign anything. I'm just telling you right there where you are sitting on that pew, just stop running. Just stop it. Stop trying to fix everything yourself. Stop trying to get everything just right. And then you're going to come to church and then you're going to, no, 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 no. Right there, right now where you are. Bring all your junk. Bring all your baggage. Bring all your addictions. Bring all your bad habits. Bring all your junk. Can I just break some news to you? He already knows about it. He already knows about every bit of it. He saw you when you did it. Bring it to him. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And say, Jesus, I don't even know how to do this. I don't know what to do after I do this. Lord, I just know i got to stop running. Because the longer I run from you, the bigger the mess gets and the more trouble I get in. You can have my life today. Now I want to ask you a question. If you prayed that prayer today, and you asked Jesus into your life, would you do me a favor? Every head bow, please. Nobody looking. Just don't embarrass anybody. If you just put your hand up and then put it right back down. I prayed that prayer today, Pastor. If you just put your hand up, put it, God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. I see those hands. Thank you. Now everybody look at me. Look at me. The Bible says that when a person gives their heart to Jesus, that there's a party in heaven. So I think the least we can do is say praise the Lord for these who rose, raised their hand today. Now here's what I want you to do. If you raised your hand today, we have a table out in the foyer and it has a, a document on it that says uh, a new Christian's first steps. And we want you to get that. There are scriptures on there to look up because you've got to get on it. The enemy's waiting out there. He is waiting to try to steal the decision you made today. So get on it. Get that sheet of paper and get on that Bible study today. Guys, we are so glad y'all came. We are so glad. And, and I'm about to go make myself look out like a really old man since I look so young. It's going to take a lot of work. But we love you and we are so glad you're here today. Happy Easter to you. Jesus is risen. Amen. Is a blue shoots up through the stony ground. There's no room, no space to win in this town. You're out of luck, and the reason that you had to care, the traffic is stuck. Take you out of this place Someone you could lend a hand In return for grace It's a beautiful day
It's a beautiful. 